Welcome to Fixated, the Fixed Income Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moran, Editorial Director of Fixed Income News Australia. Join me every week as I talk about the latest news, views and education in fixed income investment. I'll be joined by industry experts from Australia and across the globe. Hello, today I'm delighted to have a special guest uh, with us, Dr Laura Ryan, who is Head of Research at Ardea. Good morning, Laura. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Liz. Good morning. Back to you. So I'm just going to today talk a little bit about um, Laura's background because it really goes to what we're going to talk about today. So she is an internationally published academic with papers in the Journal of Portfolio Management and the Journal of Forecasting, amongst others. Now, Laura has previously worked at PIMCO, CBA and AMP and has a PhD in statistics from ANU. So Laura recently has written a paper about do bonds still diversify equities or shares? And there's a lot of commentary in the market at the moment because bond uh, yields are so low that if shares were to decline or to go into another big slump, um, typically what happens then is that investors sell their shares and they buy bonds and the bond prices rise. Uh, and the bond yields decline even further. But because yields are so low at the moment, there's this question that if we had another big equity slump, would bonds still offset um, an equity slump? Would bond prices still rise and would bond yields still fall further? So, Laura, it's really interesting. What did your research find? Yeah, thanks, Liz. You've raised a, a really good point. So, it is correct to say that you know bond returns might be limited going forward, given that we've we've got um, a you know super low yield environment. But the narrative I think is missing a really crucial point in terms of how we should think about bonds and how they they diversify equities. So there's there's two really important um, uh, parts to the equation. So one is as you've identified correlation. So correlation between bonds and equities, but then the other aspect is the relative volatility of bonds as compared to equities. Now, the research that I did looked at uh, various scenarios um, uh, in terms of correlation. So very, very large negative correlation between uh, bonds and equities, uh, kind of middle of the road correlation and then uh, very large uh, positive correlation between bonds and equities. So that's you're talking then about the prices, aren't you? So that um, do bonds and equities, do they behave in the same manner or not? So negatively they don't and positively they do. Is that right? Exactly. So, yeah, we, we can say that if something is negatively correlated, then when some when one asset is um trending upwards, then we would be expecting that that asset, the other asset would be trending upwards um, as well. Um, now, as you've pointed out, the, I guess, you know, usual conclusion is that um, we have negative correlation between bonds and equities. And um, that correlation actually is time varying um, historically, but, you know, in general, that's kind of what the market expects. Um, now, it turns out that actually it's the relative volatility between bonds and equities that's more important than correlation. So as I mentioned, we've got, you know, uh, three scenarios here that we modelled. So very, very large negative kind of middle of the road correlation around zero and then very, very large positive correlation. And under all three of those scenarios, so long as bonds 
exhibited lower volatility than equities, bonds would still diversify equity. So even in the instance when we had um, you know, plus 80% correlation, which is very, very high correlation between bonds and equities. So even in that instance, so long as bonds were exhibiting lower volatility than equities, they'll still, they'll still diversify. And so I think, you know, that's really the, the message that investors should take out, out of this. So, you know, even if you're expecting negative returns um, from, from your bond portfolio, um, if they're exhibiting lower volatility than equities, they're still providing diversification. It's just, you know, you have to decide whether you as an investor are willing to, you know, uh, pay that, pay away those um, negative returns to, to have that, that protection in your portfolio. So in essence, your research is saying that in terms of, you know, deciding on your portfolio allocation, that you should still be thinking of bonds as a diversifier and as smoothing overall returns if equities were going, going to have another big, you know, um, COVID moment, if you like, or another big stress market. Is that right? It, that's exactly right. And um, you've, you've pointed out, you know, a really important, another really important concept here. So um, even if uh, equities, uh, even if, sorry, bonds are exhibiting negative returns. So, um, you know, we might go through another, another crisis and, and say bonds don't provide positive returns. If they are exhibiting negative returns that are less than the negative returns that equities are exhibiting, then they've done their job because they have, you know, smoothed out the return profile. Um, you know, the, the way to think about it is, well, okay, the return distribution for, for bonds and, and probably equities have moved to the left. So, you know, overall, we, we would be expecting that um, returns on, on both of those asset classes might be lower given the, the low yield environment um, that we're in. Um, it's just, it's just that I think we're forgetting that, um, yeah, bonds bonds might be providing uh, negative returns, but those negative returns on a relative value basis would be less than less than equities, and I think we should you know expect that kind of relationship to to carry forward. One of the things I found interesting reading your research, Laura, was that. Um whilst everyone recognises that bond yields are, are, are very low, and we're talking really about government bond yields and the 10-year government bond yields about 1.7%. So whilst that's very low, equity valuations have rised as well. So, you know, you've got to look at um, the valuations of both asset classes. Is that is that a point too? Yes, exactly. that's exactly right. Um, you know, everything is is relative, <laughs> especially when you're, when you're investing. Um, so if you, you can't just look at, you know, the expected returns on bonds in on isolation. You really have to compare them to the distribution of, of the other asset classes. So that, yeah, that's definitely spot on. Great. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about Ardea as well. And um, I was looking at the Ard, your Ardea Real Outcome Fund, um, and that's available to retail investors and it's listed on the CHI-X. And interestingly, last year it's returned 5.18%, but also it's nearly, I think, 70% allocated to uh, AAA-rated government bonds and the remaining 30% to AA um, government bonds. So a really, in essence, quite low-risk portfolio with a 5% yield. Can you just explain a little bit about the fund and how you allocate, how, how your strategy behind it? Sure. Um, yeah, I should point out that, you know, while I'm, I'm writing research that, you know, advocates for including uh, bonds in a portfolio as a diversifier, 
we don't actually generate returns um, through exposure to, to duration or you know the usual levers that a traditional bond fund manager might use. So what, what we do instead is we seek out exposure to mispricing between uh, fixed income securities that are very closely related to each other. And so in theory, they should be priced the same because they're exposed to the same risks. But actually, they're priced differently because there's different demand levels for those different securities. So um, a really good example is um, our bond versus uh, futures trade. And this is this is really our bread and butter trade. Um, so, you know, in theory, you'd expect a 10 year bond and a 10 year interest rate futures contract to be trading uh, at the same price. But because we've got very large institutions that have very uh, different demand levels for those two different securities, they will be priced differently over time. So, for example, we know that insurance companies are regulated to invest in government bonds. So that means that they, they must invest in government bonds, whereas uh, hedge funds prefer to invest in interest rate futures contracts because they're usually more liquid and they also take up less space on their balance sheet. So, so what we see is over time that those securities are, are priced differently and often the 10-year um, government bond uh, trades uh, cheaply to the 10-year interest rate futures contract. Now, that in and of itself doesn't represent um, a, a trade opportunity for us. What does represent a trade opportunity is if there's a significant deviation from that, from that relationship, say, for example, if the 10-year government bond became materially more uh, cheap compared to the interest rate futures contract. So what we would do in that instance is we would purchase that 10-year government bond um, because it's cheap. But if we just purchased that 10-year government bond, then we would still be exposed to the level and direction of interest rates. So, you know, if interest rates went up, then that, that bond would, um, would lose value. So to make sure that we're only exposed to that cheapness or that mispricing, we purchase the 10-year government bond and then we would sell short the 10-year interest rate futures contract and then we've stripped out any of the exposure to the market, so any exposure to interest rates, and then we've isolated the mispricing between those two securities. And it's that kind of isolation of mispricing that drives our return profile. And that means that because it's independent of um, uh, interest rates and independent of the bond market in general, uh, it means that our return profile actually uh, is, a, is a diversifier to, to fixed income assets and then obviously also uh, a diversifier to equities as well. Um, I was actually surprised to see the uh, funds under management in this fund at nearly $8 billion. So you must have some pretty big institutional clients investing in the fund, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's correct. So the, the majority at the moment uh, is um, institutional clients, so uh, super funds, insurance companies, but it's definitely um, rapidly expanding in, into the retail market as well. I think it's um, a really interesting and great product uh, for retail investors. You know, it's been going eight years and the um, return over that time since inception is four something. I can't, I don't know the exact number, Laura, but um, certainly over the last year has done really well. And um, is there anything else you would like to just tell our listeners about our day or some of the other things that you do? 
Yeah, sure. So we, we also have um, a research team uh, that, that I head up that uh, we do a couple of other things. So one is that we um, help the portfolio managers to build tools and, and technology to, to come up with, with trade ideas. But we also write and publish research on portfolio construction themes, asset allocation themes. And, and so that's, you know, really the, the driver of the kind of research that we've had a chat about uh, today. And you can, you can find um, that research up on our website. And uh, I think uh, also it's probably important to point out that we want our research to be uh, independent. So, um, so we partner with um, academic institutions and, and publish in, in journals so that we can make sure that the research truly is, you know, in, independent and not positioning our strategies. And we think, we think that's really important so that, you know, our, our clients know that the research that we're writing really is to, to help them with their investment problems and, and not about, you know, trying to, trying to sell one of our strategies. Look, I've read a number of the papers and they are excellent and we have um, reprinted or republished part of them on fixed income news and we certainly will continue to do that. And um, uh, listen, Laura, really appreciated you coming on today. Thanks very much for your insights and I hope you might agree to come on again at some stage. Oh, absolutely. Definitely in. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on Fixated, the fixed income podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to join us again next week. Still hungry for more fixed income news, views and education? Then visit fixedincomenews.com.au and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter to have the latest news delivered right to your inbox. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Moran and we'll see you next week on Fixated, the fixed income podcast.